0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. This morning we are wrapping up a four-week teaching series we've been in called Summer Baggage, where we've been talking about being weighed down by the baggage we carry. And so, as we begin today, let me start by saying this. Normal isn't working in case you haven't got the memo normal isn't working. See, what's normal in our world today is for us to be like this guy in this video who carries emotional baggage everywhere we go. We have this baggage. We carry it. It's from our past. It's from previous decisions we've made. Sometimes we feel like somebody's harmed us or done us wrong, and so we carry the baggage of our past, whether it's a victim mentality, whether it's an unforgiveness, whether we feel like somebody owes us and it's better for us just to carry resentment. We are all carrying baggage in here here's the truth. It's normal to carry baggage, but normal isn't working very well, is it? No, it's not. We carry this baggage, and here's the problem with the baggage we carry, is that it's getting in the way of our relationships. You have somebody that you want to get close to, but all of a sudden you bring all this baggage into it, and you don't get the intimacy you want. You have a a, a purpose, a sense of the life you want to have, the life you want to live, and the thing that gets in the way is all of this baggage from your past. Whether it's bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness towards others, or maybe it's just a place of, you know what, I just feel... More comfortable functioning from a place of fear rather than from a place of faith. I carry this burden that is kind of all on me when it's all said and done. I have more self confidence than I have God confidence, and that's normal, but normal really isn't working. And here's the truth God has a plan for your life, and God's plan for your life isn't normal, it's better. To way better. See, God wants better for you and me than we want for ourselves. We're content with normal. I just want to be like everybody else. God says, No, I've got better for you. And so this morning, my challenge for us is to let go of normal. If you've been in church for very long or grown up in church, you've probably heard this verse. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, He says, Enter through the narrow gate, right? For, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And, and there's how many who enter it? Many, many enter it. But, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to? And only a few find it. In other words, if you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. But if you want what few people have, you're going to have to do what few people do. See, in this verse, Jesus is kind of creating this dichotomy, this division, this contrast between two people groups. There's the one group that's normal. They're on the broad and the wide path. There's many people on it. But then there's the second group that's the better path. He's encouraging us to enter the narrow road, the small gate, and only few find it. See, when we stop and we ask, well, what's normal in our world today? What's this broad path? What's this thing that everybody's on? Well, how would you answer about normal in our world today? Like, what's normal in our schedules today? Um, I'm busy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm rushed. I'm stretched. I'm a little panicked. There's never enough time for really the truly important things because I'm always consumed with the urgent. That's, that's normal. What's normal when it comes to our money today? Well, it's the pursuit of material things that never seem to make me happy. Uh, There's being broke. There's being in debt. There's financial fears of the future. Come on. What's going on in our world? Is the stock market ever going to come back? It's inflation time. What's going on? Why does gas cost so much? What happened at the grocery store? Seriously, $6 for a box of cereal? I don't know what kind of world we're living in. I'm living in Aldi's world. That's what I'm living in. (laughs) What's normal when it comes to money today? Yeah. Fear about the future. Is there enough? And and fighting about money. All the married couples are like, yeah. Yeah. What is normal when it comes to our professional lives? Well, it's kind of normal for us just to work for a paycheck. We're just going to do something. We don't necessarily really like it, but we have to do something just to get by. I feel like there's something more, but I just can't seem to find it. That's pretty normal for people today. What's normal in relationships? Well, you know, you kind of just hop from bed to bed with different people until you finally decide to get married. And then when that doesn't work out, well, what's normal in our culture today? Over 50% of marriages just end in divorce. If we're honest with ourselves, we all have to admit normal has a lot of baggage. And normal really isn't working very well. But the good news for us is that there is a new way of living that Jesus wants to teach you and me. And if Jesus really is the creator of humanity, then he knows how we are designed to best function. See, the problem is, is that we've kind of told God to leave us alone, and we've been trying to live life as best as we know how, and that normal isn't working. And I'm so thankful that Jesus loves us enough to say, you know what? I see you over there. I see that you've ignored me. I see that you're uh, trying to do life on your own, but I still love you. And it's not good for you what you're doing. I love you so much, even though you've wronged me, I'm going to step towards you to try to help you. I want to teach you how to live a new humanity. I want to teach you how to live as I created you to live. And you can't do it on your own, but, but here's the good news, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to empower you to live a new life. Wow. In order... To embrace the new life God has for me, I have to be willing to let go of what I'm holding on to, and that's normal. And to let go is a step of faith. I've got to believe in what I cannot see. I've got to put my trust in a higher power. I've got to believe that what God said is true, that he does love me, he's not against me, he's for me, and he has a purpose for my life, and I'm going to let go of what I've been holding on to, my comfort, my security, in order to embrace better. Our theme Bible verse for this series that we've been in for the last several weeks is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, it's almost like the grandstands of heaven are looking down. What are we to do? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Why are we doing this? So that we can run with endurance the race God has set before us. Do you know that God has a race for you? He hasn't overlooked you. He didn't just have a plan for the pastor. No, he has a plan for you. He knows exactly your story. He knows exactly your pain. He knows exactly where you have came from. And he has a race that he is calling you to run. And he wants you to run it with endurance. It's not a short trip. He's got a long-term plan for you. But in order to run well, we have to get rid of some things that are holding us back. We've got to get rid of the baggage, the weight that slows us down, and the sin that so easily trips us up. And verse 2 says, here's how we're supposed to do this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. See, because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now, where's he at? He's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. See, in this series, I've been trying to encourage you to address your own personal baggage, the stuff that you're carrying, the stuff that's unique to you. I've been challenging you each week to strip off the weight and the sin that's holding you back so that you can run with endurance the race God has for you. But but here's the thing. The bigger picture is this. Your personal baggage is contributing to our community baggage. See, Jesus loves you, but it's not all about you. See, Jesus is coming back for his church, the bride of Christ, which is not you individually. You're cute, but you're not that cute. He's coming back for all of us. And so when you are dealing with personal baggage in your own life, And maybe it's a secret, nobody knows what you're going through. The truth of the matter is when you step over the line of faith and you say, I want what you have, God, but you don't address that baggage, you bring that baggage, and it's a part of what we all carry now. And we as a church, we as a body, are now communally having to deal with your baggage. See, my hope, For each of you individually is to deal with your personal baggage because as you deal with that, you're dealing with our community baggage. And we're going to be better positioned as a church to do what God's called us to do. Does God have a plan for you individually? Yeah. But did you know that that plan is intricately connected to what our plan is as a church? It's not separate. You're special, but you're not that special. You're a part of the church. The promises are not individual, the promises are for you as a church. Well, do I get to go to heaven? Well, you could say that you get to go to heaven, but God's coming back for the church. If you're a part of the church, then the promise applies to you individually. So we need to, as we're going through this process, not just think selfishly, self-help, Dr. Phil, Oprah, I got to get better. We need to realize that our getting better is actually contributing to all of us getting better. And when God calls us to do something If we're weighed down by baggage, we're not able to move into the race that God has for us. I love and I believe in the church. And because I love and believe in the church as a pastor, I want to help the church be all that it can be. And that's going to be when we begin to care for one another and serve the purposes that God has for us. But the warning is in 1 Peter 5.8. We're told to be alert and of sober mind thinking clearly, not under the influence, be alert and a sober mind. Why? Because you actually have an enemy. Your enemy is the devil. And he prowls around looking, or sorry, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. See, we are to follow God individually, but also as a community. And we need to watch one another's backs. We need to be alert because the devil Our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It might be you. It might be the person next to you. See, the problem sometimes that I think we have in the church is that we tend to not talk about how the devil might be trying to get us. We talk about how the devil's gotten the world. Have you seen how bad the world is? What's the old saying? Oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't even know what that means. What is a handbasket? Is it like an Easter basket? I don't know. But we tend to talk about how bad the world is. Oh, uh, old people are like, man, the world was a better place when I was younger. You remember the good old days, the 50s? You know, like, no, I don't remember that. Uh, I don't know what you're speaking of. Uh, everybody's like, yeah, the world's just getting worse and worse. Have you seen what's happening in politics? Oh, uh, Biden, uh, Trump, uh. Well, okay. Yeah, it's evil out there. It's the devil's world out there. It's a good thing we are safe in here. Wait a second, wait a second. Oh, oh, you're not done? No, I'm not done yet. Have you heard what they're teaching our young people? Are you hearing what's happening in the curriculum? Have you talked to somebody from Gen Z? Those foul-mouthed little, yeah, I know, I know. I've talked to them. We tend to have this attitude, and, 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 and it's so subtle, we don't even realize it, but it's us in the church who know Jesus. And them, those bad sinners over here. And we tend to think, okay, I just need to wait until I die. Then it'll all be okay. And we start singing old songs. i fly away, oh, glory. When I die, hallelujah. Bye. Yeah, yeah. We're sitting here and we're waiting to die because that world's so evil and God just keep me pure so that I can be in your holy presence one day. Have we ever stopped to consider that maybe the problem isn't them over there, but maybe the problem is us? Is it possible that the world is the way it is because we as a church are not being the church that God called us to be? Oh, Pastor Alex, stop. Start singing Oh Glory again. What if we're the problem? What if the problem is is that we as a church have got our focus wrong? Like do you realize like if the whole earth was filled with the glory of the Lord, we wouldn't be here? Like the idea of leaving is when the whole world is restored, like when everybody hears the good news about who Jesus is. Like if we're actually doing our part, we should be a part of a redemption for the world. Not, oh, I've got to stay away from it. It's icky. I'm going to get the cooties of the world. No, we're to be in the world to help them to recognize who Jesus is. Maybe the world wouldn't be getting worse and worse if we as the church actually were being the church. This past week, I spent a a, a week in Colorado with a cross-country team that I, I coach, a bunch of high schoolers, and I challenged them To be these leaders when they came back. And I want to challenge you to be the same thing. And here's what I told them I said, My challenge for you is to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. I think for too long, we as the church have just been thermometers. The culture around us changes, the temperature, the atmosphere, and what do we do? Oh, I'm getting hot. I'm getting mad. Have you seen how corrupt and evil and screwed up our world is? Wait a second. We were not called to be thermometers. We're not to adjust to the culture around us. We instead are to be thermostats. You set the thermostat and it determines the culture around. We need to stop being so reactive and start being proactive. We need to start actually moving in the direction that God wants and allowing His influence to shine. Remember that old song, uh, This Little Light of Mine? I'm going to let it shine hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. I think we've hid it under a bushel. We're we going to let the devil it out? No, we are going to let it shine. We have to begin to let the light of Christ shine through us, and it happens when we stop being reactive and we start setting a new culture in our world. If we're going to run with endurance the race that God has set before us, we're going to have to keep our eyes on Who? Jesus. Why? Because he's the champion. A few weeks ago, I mentioned one of my favorite American runners, Steve Prefontaine. I know a lot of you are like, I don't know who that is, but I'm sure you went home, you Googled it, you got the movie, you watched it, you're all in the loop. No. Okay. You're like, I don't like to run unless someone is chasing me. (laughs) So as a runner, uh, Steve Prefontaine was one of my favorite runners. Uh, He died before I was born though. Okay, crazy deal, car accident, Oregon athlete, ran in the Munich Olympics. Anyway, this guy was so incredible that as a runner, I said, I want to know how he thought. I wanted to know how he processed training, how he approached races. And so what did I do? Well, I began to get any information on him I could. So there are movies without limits. Great one. Go check it out. Uh, there's another one called Prefontaine. I would get these movies. I would watch them. Then I started to say, hey, what books are there about this guy? Because he was pretty incredible. And I began to hear quotes that he had made. And, in fact, I began to memorize those quotes because I wanted the mindset, the mentality that Steve Prefontaine had. Pre, I want a pre's mentality for me to help change me into being a better runner. And so I would memorize this quote. He had one. It was to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Oh, that's, that's good. That's the back of a T-shirt worthy right there. <laughs> he had another one. He said, somebody may beat me, but they're going to have to bleed to do it. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. It's my, it's my kind of guy. My, my, my last one, this is pretty good. He says, you know, a lot of people run a race to see who is the fastest. I run to see who has the most guts, who can punish himself into exhausting pace, and then at the end, punish himself even more. Yes, come on, like, yeah, that was my guy, I love it, mindset, discipline, let's go, I wanted it, I memorized it, I wanted his mindset to become my mindset, and here's the thing, if we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, we should desire his mindset for us to run this race, Just as I pursued movies and quotes from him, we actually have like this whole book that's committed and dedicated to Jesus. And if we're smart, we'll read it and we'll learn the mindset that Jesus carried as he ran his race because he was the champion. He is our example. He's the one we should be like. We should be memorizing what he said. And so what was Jesus' mindset? How did he approach life? Because he ran with perfection the race set before him. Well, good news. The Bible tells us how he was thinking. So check this out. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is Jesus' mindset. It says that in your relationships with one another, that we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Not a different one, not a similar one. No, the same mindset. And then it gives us a colon. It says, all right, hey, here's how his mindset worked. Uh, verse 6, Jesus Christ who, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus never walked with a sense of entitlement. What he deserved, he didn't take. Oh, but I deserve this. No, he laid that, Aside, Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a, what? This is God in heaven. All the angels bowing down 24-7. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yeah. He deserves it. He took all that. I don't, I'm not going to be entitled to that. I'm going to set it down. I'm going to take the form of a servant. He didn't even come as like a king. He didn't even come as somebody who would get like human on... No, no. He came as a servant being made in human likeness. When you're God and you take on human form, that is a definite downgrade. You got a smartphone? We're going back to like the brick. <laughs> we skipped over the flip phone era. Like we went way... It's a bag phone. Like it's bad. And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself. Key word, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. How obedient was he? Obedient to death. Not just like an old man death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our example, and we're to have the same mindset he had. We're not to walk with a sense of entitlement. We're not to walk trying to get others to honor us. We're to be a servant. We're to be humble, and we're to be obedient. I don't know if God's going to call us to be obedient to death on a cross. That would be, that's pretty extreme. He's just calling us to be obedient, you know, to, like, love your neighbor, to forgive others, to be kind to those who've mistreated you. Like, he was obedient to death. He's just asking you to tell somebody hey, would you please forgive me for doing you wrong? Last week I shared that most of us are unaware of the baggage that we're carrying. And the baggage I want to talk about today specifically is a sin that is so common to the human experience. It's the gateway to all other sins. See, this sin promises to make us bigger, better, and more important. But it only makes us smaller and meaner. It strips us of our capacity to connect with others, and it stands between us and our Heavenly Father. Today, I want to talk about the baggage of pride. Pride is the underlying current behind all sin and rejection of God. Pride elevates self to the throne of life. The problem with pride is that it masquerades as all sorts of things. Oh, I don't have pride. I have confidence. Oh, I don't have pride. I have intelligence. No, that's not pride. That's just fashion. That's just sarcasm. No, no, I'm just, I'm committed to excellence. Pride masquerades as all sorts of things, but pride is conceited, it has a disdain for others. It's boastful, it's arrogant, it's self-righteous, it's legalistic, and it's often overly concerned with appearances. And if I was to take an anonymous poll in this room, which would be fun, and ask you, do you struggle with pride? I bet the overwhelming majority of you would say, no, but I know somebody who does. We don't see pride in the mirror very often. But I heard something years ago, I don't know if it's true or not, but it rang true for me. They said, what bothers you the most in other people is normally the thing that you struggle with. And I can't handle prideful people. And then I started thinking, uh oh, I'm prideful. And I was. See the problem is that we don't see ourselves as prideful, and, and most of us will say, Well, I'm not arrogant. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. So naturally, I must not have a problem with pride. But just because you don't outwardly display the stereotypes that surround pride doesn't mean that you don't internally wrestle with pride every day. In preparing for this message, I was blown away by the number of lists I found to help people identify that they are actually prideful. I mean, we're going to look at them. Because some of you are like, I still don't think i got a problem with pride. So we're going to move through these quickly. So first, here's 15 subtle signs of pride in your life. Number one, assuming you already know something when someone is teaching. Womp womp. Number two, seeing yourself as too good to perform certain tasks. That never worked there. Number three, being too proud to ask for help. Women, don't say a word about your husband right now. Number four, feeling the need to consistently teach people things. Number five, talking about yourself a lot. Number six, thinking you are better than others who are different or less fortunate. Number seven, when you disregard the advice of others. Number eight, when you are constantly critical. Number nine, consistent need for attention and affirmation. Number 10, unable to receive constructive criticism. Number 11, you're overly obsessed with your physical appearance. Number 12, you're unwilling to submit to authority. Number 13, ignoring people's attempt to communicate with you. 14, justifying your sin instead of admitting it. Number 15, name-dropping. If that didn't fit, I found another list. Here's eight (laughs) symptoms of pride. A preoccupation with appearances. Needy of attention. Argumentative. Disrespectful toward authority, selfish ambition, unwilling to accommodate, inappropriate anger, stubborn addictions. Here's another list 10 signs you're more prideful than you realize. Number one, you don't think you struggle with pride. Number two, you feel you are owed. Number three, you overestimate your contributions. And number four, you underestimate the contributions of others. Number five, you rarely say thank you. Number six, think about this in your work situation, you think your successor will have it hard following you. And you think your predecessor was an idiot. You often compare yourself to others. You care more about success than sanctification, And you can't learn from people different than you. In case you haven't picked up on it yet, we all struggle with pride. I'm just doing more lists until you get it. One more list. (laughs) Seven symptoms of a prideful heart. Number one, fear. How is that a symptom of a prideful heart? Well, see, when you have fear, it reveals your lack of trust. It reveals your lack of faith. It reveals that you're trying to fix it on your own, and you know you're limited in power, so I'm a little afraid on how this is going to turn out because I can't control all the narrative. Fear is a sign of pride that I'm trying to do it in my own power. Number two, symptom of a prideful heart is entitlement. When you begin to feel like, you know what, I deserve love. I deserve success. I deserve some comfort and some accolades. We all need to have a spa day, right? Careful. Number three, ingratitude. See, when you're ingrateful, the reason that you're ungrateful is when you feel like you deserve it. If I'm just getting what I deserve, why would I be grateful? Nobody went above and beyond. Of course, I deserve this. If you find yourself without an attitude of gratitude, it might be because there's a little pride in your heart. Number four, people-pleasing. All my people pleasers out there? You say, well, how's people pleasing? having anything to do about pride? I want to help other people, you know, to be nice. And I want want us to feel good. I want us to have comfort together. People pleasing is all about self-satisfaction as we seek the approval from others. It's all about me. Five, prayerlessness. It's not even a word, but it works. No, it's got a little red line under it every time you type it. But I couldn't think of a better way to say it. When you find yourself not praying, why do we not pray? We don't pray because we trust that we'll take care of it on our own. I don't need God. I got this. If I get in a pinch, I'll call on him to come help me out. But I got it. We don't pray because we have pride. Hmm. Number six, When you're judgmental. See, it's easy to find fault in others when you subtly think that you're better than them or you're holier than them. It's a sign of pride. You're thinking more highly of yourself than God thinks of you. And finally, number seven would be rebellion. Another way to say that is that there's a lack of submission on your part. Ah, I'm not going to do what they say. I know better. I know my boss had good intentions, but I'm going to do what I want to do instead. Ah. I'm the smartest person in the room. I'm smarter than them. I'm wiser than them. I just know more than them. I'm not trying to hold it over them. But rebellion is pride in your heart. If you ever wonder where you fall on the spectrum of pride and humility... Your attitude is your most accurate monitor. What kind of attitude do you carry? James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says this that that God, He gives us more grace. Isn't that good news? Some of you, you know, like if you've ever been in student ministry, you know that there is um, extra grace required, kids. You need a little more grace to deal with that little sixth-grade snot nosed kid who has got that little foul mouth that wants to kiss that girl and do it on your watch while you're at the youth conference. You have extra grace kids. Some of you are extra grace adults. There's a little extra grace needed for you. And here's the good news. He gives us more grace. And that's why the scriptures say God opposes the what? I don't know about you, but of all the people in the world that I want to oppose me, I don't want God to oppose me. That's bad. I don't want God to oppose me. And God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He shows favor to the humble. With that in mind, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Remember that one that's prowling around like a roaring lion looking whom he may devour? See, pride, it shuts us in and shuts God and others out. It keeps us from saying what needs to be said and hearing what needs to be heard. And if God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble, then I want to embrace humility. I'm going to show you just real quickly, I don't have time to talk about this in depth, but if you wanted to snap a picture of it and look these verses up later, you can. Here's the outcome of pride, and here's the outcome of humility as we see it in Scripture. See, when you have pride in your heart, you end up isolating from counsel and correction because, hey, I don't need to listen to you, I know better. And then you find yourself being unrepentant because I never did anything wrong. I'm not at fault. I'm not in error. Uh, you know, it was their fault. And when you begin to go down this path, you end up in this place of self-deception. I'm, I never lied to you until I first lied to myself. And so I'm beginning now to deceive myself because of pride. And it leads to destruction. Like, Pride comes before the fall, like there is a destruction to this type of attitude, and eventually, you will find yourself in slavery. You will find yourself in slavery to addiction, to yourself, to self-centeredness. But the opposite of what we're trying to move towards, and what I want for all of us, is to become humble, to walk with humility, not a false humility, in which we just pretend and act as though we're nobody, oh yeah, I'm not very good. But inside, I'm like, I'm better than you. No, no, not false humility, but a true, genuine humility. Here's what it produces, is that you're able to gain wisdom from others' counsel because you're able to hear them. You're able to learn from others. It doesn't even have to be somebody who's in a place of authority. You're able to learn from anyone, anywhere, anytime because you have humility. Humility is what leads to salvation. If God opposes the proud and you're proud, how do you ever receive the gift of his salvation? He opposes you. You can't receive salvation until you humble yourself. If you think you deserve his salvation, there is no salvation for you. The gate's small, the road's narrow, and the pathway is humility. i got to recognize I'm not God, and I'm not God Jr. I'm worthless. I'm like the scum around the bottom of my Bathroom drain, I'm blah. I'm not worthy. (laughs) Wayne's world, Wayne's world, all right. Humility, it is the prerequisite for us experiencing salvation, the life that God intended for you. It also brings an honest self-evaluation. When you're humble, you begin to see yourself accurately. That's really important. I'm not thinking of myself more highly than I ought to. I'm not thinking of myself more lowly than I ought to. I have an honest self-evaluation because God is helping me see myself through his eyes. And humility will eventually not lead to destruction, but it actually leads to blessing. You want God to bless you? He can't be opposing you. You have to get rid of the pride because that's where the opposition is. If I want the blessing, I've got to be humble and then I can receive the blessings. And when I walk in humility, that's where freedom in Christ is found. I can be a new person, I'm not bound by all of this baggage. I've humbly owned it, accepted it, confessed it, repented of it, and say, God, I'm all yours. James chapter 4, he gives us more grace. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, then, to God. This language, submit, is language taken from warfare. The idea is that we are to submit as a good soldier puts himself in complete subjection to his captain. And this idea that we're to resist the devil, resist means to stand bravely against. That's what we're called to do. And here's the wild thing. There is a promise of God that follows. See, when you submit and you resist the devil will flee from you. Not he might, or he could, or he should. No, he will. When we step out, when we are not proud, but we're humble and we submit, I die to myself what I want, and I say, God, it's all about you. I submit to you, and I resist. Then guess what? The devil will flee from you. Have you ever wondered why people resist God's grace? Like, it's such a good deal. Like, if you're a Christian, you're like, I don't know why everybody doesn't embrace this. This is such a good deal. It's, it's free. It's a good gift. Here's the reason people don't accept God. Here's the reason they don't step over the line of faith. It's pride. Well, no, they have like an intellectual argument. No, that's not the reason. That's what they tell you to shut you up and get you confused and wonder if the Bible's real. The reason people resist God's grace is really... In the Garden of Eden, the serpent's temptation to Adam and Eve was, hey, listen, if you eat this, you will be like God. And ever since the Garden to now, we all have, in our own way, been trying to take God's place. And that is pride. So when you think of yourself higher than God thinks of you, yeah, it's pride. So as we wrap up today, how do we rid ourselves of the baggage of pride? Pride. Well, number one, what I spent most of today trying to help you do is recognize and admit your pride. You'll never be able to solve a problem until you know it exists, and if you don't admit that you have pride, you'll never address the pride that's in your heart. So number one, if you want to get rid of the baggage of pride, you have to recognize and admit your pride. Number two, you need to follow Jesus. Jesus is our rescue from pride. An invitation to follow Jesus is the equivalent of an invitation to unfollow pride. You can't follow Jesus and keep pride. You have to unfollow pride. It's not about me. It's not about how smart I am. It's not about me saving myself. There's no Messiah complex. I'm a sinner. I need help. I need grace. I need Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you have to humble yourself. And if you want to get rid of the baggage of pride, begin follow Jesus. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. There's the death of pride. It's not about what I want. I'm submitting. I'm going to take up my cross. It's what I want to do. Instead, I'm going to follow him. So number one, you got to admit and recognize that you got pride. Number two, you got to follow Jesus. Number three, you want to get rid of this baggage of pride? You've got to begin to express your gratitude." Henry Ward Beecher said, A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. We need to begin to express our gratitude, first to God, most important, but then also to others. There's something about saying thank you that takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them back on the blessings we've received and those who have blessed us. Prideful people aren't very grateful. You want to begin to get rid of that baggage? Go say thank you. If your parents are still alive, call them. Say, hey, I want to thank you for all the money, the time, the sacrifice, the prayers, the heartache. I want to thank you for investing in me so I can be the person I am today. Who can you thank? Maybe you go to your boss. I don't like my boss, though. Boss, thank you. For a job. Thank you that I have a place to work. I don't want to do that. I know because you're prideful. We have to express gratitude. Number four, you really want to get rid of this baggage of pride, you need to begin to practice servanthood. Humility, it's not a smooth or painless process as we serve others, but it's a necessity. See, Jesus taught and modeled a radically liberating version of humility. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifecasey.com.